All right, folks, this show is sponsored by Anchor. A while back, we switched over to Anchor as our hosting platform for Panel to Panel. And to be honest, it's actually been one of the best experiences we've had when it comes to hosting our podcast. A lot of people think making a podcast is super difficult, but Anchor actually allows you to record and edit your podcast all on your phone if that's what you want to do. Anchor even helps you get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places like that. That way you can get your podcast to a wide audience of different people. And the best part about it, it's totally free. So go ahead, check out Anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app on your phone or through the App Store or the Google Play Store and check it out today. Now let's turn the page and get to this week's episode of Panel to Panel. people of the internet it is time for on comics flagship podcast panel to panel where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such we are back we are back with the finale the finale the winter finale of this show we will be back in january for you good folks but like we've been talking about on social media like we've been ramping up towards this is our winter finale where we break down and, and dissect batman v superman dawn of justice ultimate edition that way we don't have anyone complaining that we're missing anything we decided to go back through this movie and ha- have some criticism but also give it a little bit of praise maybe maybe a lot depending on my mood well, depending on our mood depends, depends on how it goes but we are here once again to talk about the uh the, like something that we love which is comic books at, at the core of what we do my name is James Portis. Uh, to my left, we have the amazing woman that wears her bracelets with pride as she defends from all that the, the haters. Mary, how you doing this evening? I actually do have a pair of Wonder Woman bracers. That's awesome! I do. <laughs> no, but I'm fine. All right. And then to my uh, my right, we have the man with the cowl on, ready to go ready to reenact the the, the the warehouse scene in, in its entirety. We have Travis. How you doing, Miss Amy? What up, y'all? Just <laughs> <laughs> straight silence. What up, y'all? <laughs> He's just building mystery. Oh, my gosh. Oh, All right. Uh, uh, don't forget to follow this podcast on Twitter at PT podcast don't forget to follow the, web, the website on comics ground on twitter and instagram at on comics ground and you can check out the website on comicsground.com put some hyphens between those words for me where you can check out all of our reviews previews solicitations and more every weekday but for the next two weeks you, you won't see as much we're gonna be going on winter break uh, like for the entire staff but we will be back in january with more but there will be a little bit of content sprinkled throughout the next two weeks so pl- please look out for that um, and then you can listen to this podcast, obviously, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, uh, Overcast, Podcast Republic, 
Spotify, YouTube, all those great things, except for SoundCloud. We don't support SoundCloud. All right, we're going to go ahead and dive into this. So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and give the like the like the the first initial thoughts or just the thoughts of now that we're not like with, with us being was with us being six movies into technically what is still being known as a cohesive universe despite what they say it, like with Shazam still giving credence like even though it wasn't Cavill it was a guy in the Man of Steel Superman suit but giving credence to the idea that this world is still interconnected we are six movies out from well four if you count the other, the other ones but six total of this entire universe I think it's mm-hmm. seven actually is it seven now oh yeah Suicide Squad you're right and I'm about to be eight once Birds of Prey drops um I, I didn't become Suicide Squad I feel bad now um what what are the thoughts going into past Mary Travis and James's minds at, 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 as as we enter the theater having sawn Men of Steel and going into the, in, into this movie? What Mary, think back. What were your thoughts going into BVS? I I was absolutely excited. Like I was vibrating with excitement. All right. Now, why is that? I mean, because it was the biggest DC movie to date. It has, you know, it had Superman. And I like Henry Cavill. Man of Steel, for me, Man of Steel was like a solid B-. minus. It wasn't the greatest Superman movie, but it was far from the worst. I love Brandon Ruth, but I have seen Superman Returns. (laughs) Um, I was really excited for Batfleck. And of course, you know, it had Wonder Woman in it. Like we saw little glimpses of her in the trailer. And I mean, if you know anything about me, you know (laughs) that I, you know, kind of like Wonder Woman a little bit. Kind. So, I mean, and when you're assembling the entire Trinity like that, you're damn right I was excited. All right. All right. Then for like for uh, tra- Travis what were yeah. your thoughts like did you see this in theaters when it first came out who yes, me I I Travis. most certainly I most certainly saw this in theaters when it came out okay so when, when you had seen Man of Steel and you're going into, the, into this what what were your initial thoughts um I'm gonna watch my favorite DC character beat the crap out of the biggest Gary Stew in all of comics <laughs> oh lord <laughs> I got that though to be fair I you did. Was, you did. I got that. <laughs> and there, and there, there was a full armored suit and gas and spear to go along with it. Yep, and all the oh. cheesy Batman lines to handle it. Oh my gosh. Um, Gotham's for... tired of clowns. <laughs> you right. For me, I had I remember going on a, on, a, on a trip to go visit a college, and I was I was going into this movie. I it took me almost a full year or so to finally sit down and watch Man of Steel because like. I just wasn't digging the idea of it from watching the trailers. And I just finally, like, I, I think Man of Steel was being announced right when Smallville had ended. And I was like, I'm not ready for more Superman yet. So I'm going to just hold off. And then I finally went, like, saw this movie on DVD. And I was like, okay, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, like, similar to Mary, I, I'd probably give it a B- in hindsight after seeing it a couple times. All I know is that the Kryptonian fights in IMAX was just mind-blowing. Like, this is how Kryptonians fight. That's that's fair. 
and like and then I, I i still think back to um freaking what's what's his freaking name um can't think uh russell Cro- russell crow as Jarrell was a very weird choice i stick by that statement also brando also um krypton has a lot of penis imagery which is even even weirder um <laughs> that was one thought I, I had watching that movie but going into BBS, I was excited. I remember watching the Comic-Con trailer at my first college and seeing Wonder Woman fall from the sky and block this giant laser beam. It was like, oh, it's that kind of movie. Uh, okay, I'm down. And so, like, 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 I was pumped. And I left, I guess, still hyped, but also kind of, like, down because they had already announced Justice League, so... I knew what had happened at the end of the movie wasn't permanent, and I was still mixed on how what had happened went down. But at the end of the day, I still enjoy BBS for what it is, and I, I have my criticisms, which we'll get into. But yeah. uh, Mary, after seeing the movie, what were your initial thoughts? Um, well, to be completely honest, the first time I saw it, it was kind of sensory overload for me because you know. I'd seen Batman because a lot of it hinged on Wonder Woman for me. And I'm going to be blunt about that. I love Batman. I love Superman. But I mean, this was, you know, an origin that was almost 70, like an appearance that was almost 75 years in the making. And it was, it was really emotional. I think I was a little emotionally drained while leaving the theater. It wasn't until the third time I saw it in IMAX because I saw this movie in IMAX three times. Um, that I kind of started to really absorb, you know, the actual plot. And the the plot was choppy, I will admit. For the theatrical release, the plot was choppy. But I think visually, the movie is phenomenal. Because the scene where Wonder Woman drops down, uh, the first night we saw it, my entire theater just erupted in applause and cheering. I didn't get that. I'm I'm glad you did, because that sounds like it was amazing. Travis, like, did you have sort of the same effect, or like, was your leaving experience different? Um, I remember I watched it and I was pretty shook, cause uh, you, you guys know me, man. If it's got like loud explosions and flashy, flashy boom booms, I'm I'm about it. So I was pretty I was pretty starstruck the first time I watched it. But it's one of the few movies I did see in theaters more than once. I didn't see it in IMAX because my podunk area doesn't have an IMAX, but. <laughs> Um, the second time I saw it, I, I definitely enjoyed it a little more thoroughly. Um, and Mary is right where the, the plot was really, really spotty as far as the theatrical release release was concerned. But I remember I, I took it in as if like, maybe I had lived in that world and maybe that's what Snyder was trying to do, or maybe that's what the studio was trying to do. But I remember enjoying the plot overall. But and, and then catching a lot of flack for enjoying it so much. Um, All right. I think the only thing, and kind of the elephant in the room, the only thing I really didn't like about it was ah, it's hard. Bruce's merciless killing people. That was that was the one that kind of was like what for the movie. Okay. All but right. after watching it again yeah. to get today, I, I I made it made sense. So. Okay. So we'll go ahead and, and go ahead. dig into this movie. We're gonna go through like we won't like sit here and drone on forever, but I wanna go through each sort of chapter of this movie and dissect 
what had happened and and let and let y'all gauge our opinions of what had gone on. So, so movie kicks movie off, kicks off, and we get a replay of Batman Begins. Batman. I mean, we get uh, Bruce's origin, where we see the set, like the thing we all know him him, him like, like 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 the death of uh, of Thomas and Martha Wayne, and. I do think like the pearl imagery and how it's shot and like, everything that goes on is very well done. I do want to give Z- uh, Zack Snyder his credit that he is a very good cinematographer when he wants to shoot a shot. It's always amazing. And, like people give him shit for like his like slow mo shots and stuff like that, but he is killer with a camera, and I, I really do appreciate the work he does with this specific, specific scene. Granted, I was kind of overseeing Thomas and Martha die for the hundredth time, but like. Eh. You, you you do what you will with that. Like, I don't know if y'all have any any mixed feelings on this being redone. Silence. <laughs> Travis, do you have any thoughts? <sighs> like, like, um, like, were you a fan of seeing Batman Begins again? No, no, and I'm trying to find all the words that I can use to properly describe it. It's it's the same thing with, you know, everyone wants to hear with great power comes great responsibility, and, like, I'm so tired of it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I, I know you don't want to see Uncle Ben die again either, do you? No, no, I don't, and I'll, I'll give it to them that maybe their casting of Thomas and Martha Wayne was pretty cool, but I'm not going to sit here and drone on about I'm excited to see Bruce's parents be shot repeatedly in every single Batman trilogy movie franchise. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of over it. You know what I mean? After 80 years, I think, I think his origin has become a mythos enough that we can get past that. That's fair. I mean, like, like I, I think what makes it get a pass for me is the way it's shot. If it weren't for that, I probably would be more annoyed, but the way it goes about it, it's like, okay, now, granted, the whole young Bruce flying on bats thing was kind of overkill, and that kind of ruined it for me, because it was like, okay, cool, like, him falling at the funeral is kind of a different way to do it, and, like, everything that goes on is super cool, but then the the, the bats carry him up to heaven kind of thing was like, you, you're ruining it for me. So, Mary, what were your thoughts on the the, the the origin being replayed? Like Travis said, it's something that we've seen time and again. It's something that they're going to keep doing regardless. So, I mean, it's one of those giant um, uh, theatrical moments that everybody wants to put their own spin on. That's so. fair. At this point, I've just kind of stopped caring. Like, we're going to see it regardless of whether or not we want it. So for you, it's not even, it, like, you just kind of become resigned by it. You, like, you, you, like, is there a part of you that wishes it wasn't there? Truth be told, I actually just don't care. Okay. That's, that's, uh, all right. Um, no, but so... I mean, like, I just, like, you know it's going to be there, and I just, I don't care. I, I did think the uh, cinematography made this one stand out a bit more. So. Okay. Uh, well, I, I think the flying bats was the point where I was like, you, you, you took everything that was really well shot and then just threw it off a cliff. Like, it's, it's Wasn't like... that a dream sequence, though? Yeah, I think it was. But the idea of like, like, do we know if 
the, like he had the bad experience then, or did it happen later? Like, like, like them blurring the line of it being a dream kind of like made it confusing. Kind of felt like they were showcasing Bruce's psychosis. Yeah. And Zack Snyder really does like his biblical imagery. Yeah. And so it was kind of Bruce dying and Batman being reborn. Okay. Or, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's fair. Yeah, he does like his Jesus Bar Barbados okay. having a never-ending story moment. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then we we jump with Bruce to the the de- like the Man of Steel Kryptonian war zone, like with all the nine nine eleven imagery included. And I, I, I this entire sequence is. It, it, it does set up a lot for the future. Like it sets up the whole thing with Wally and not, and not and can't feel his legs, and it gives Bruce motivation to hate Superman. But like at times, I, I wonder why it needed to be played out. But also, I understand at the same time where it's like, couldn't he have just seen it on TV? Like you think this guy who's been beaten down over so many years would have just seen it on TV in his cave or some shit. Like the like the way they seem to sort of portray Bruce as this like this downtrodden person who's lost to Robin, who's gone through all these different criminals and stuff like that over the years. You think there would already be this trauma that he wouldn't just be in a metropolis conveniently trying to save everyone that day. So like it's a battle I've had with myself back and forth of like, I get it, but also there's questions in my head. Thoughts? Um, Well, for me, um, Bruce Wayne running into the collapsing, you know, the the, the cloud of dust from the collapsing building is the most Batman thing to have ever Batman. Like, Affleck does that so perfectly that it's one of my favorite shots of the entire movie is just when Bruce is just running into this giant collapsing building. Yeah. But I think the big problem that a lot of people have with Snyder's Batman is that he is an actual person. I mean, we're all used to the effects of bad God, basically. Bruce Wayne, you know, he has all of this psychological trauma, but he never lets it affect him. You know, he is just a rock of, you know, the the epitome of stoicism. And something that Travis said a little while ago was the, you know, the crowd of bats, you know, lifting him up to the heavens, as it were, uh, was kind of giving us a look into Bruce's psychosis. Like, this man is probably insane. And if anything, the last 20 years and, you know, his his turn to the dark side, if you will, has just kind of further maybe even dissociated him that he is becoming the, the, the god damn. It's, it's hard trying to you know, put this into thought, but basically we finally get to see Batman actually suffer the influences of all of the trauma he's probably received over his life. Like, you can't shake that off. Yeah. And I think it stripped away a certain element of the power fantasy. So, I mean, it's just my completely, like, amateur psychoanalysis of that situation. Victoria could probably do a better job. 
You make a good point because the idea of him just jumping in, saving the kid with no regard for his life, it's a very Batman thing to do, but I don't even think it's a Batman thing. I think it's more of him just trying to save as many people as possible because he knows that he his life doesn't matter. Like, if I drop trying to save this child, fine. I don't care anymore. My life means nothing. But, like, if she lives, she can keep going. And I think the big thing is, is, you know, one of the things that the movie tries to sell really hard is that this is really the first time that he actually feels powerless. There is nothing he can do. It's the first time since his parents murdered him, in, like, in a lot of sense. Like, he can't do anything yeah. about these, these gods fighting in the sky. Uh-huh. And to a degree, I mean, kind of like, you know, linking literary threads where we can, we see the culmination of that in the Trinity fight in the end. Yeah. I like how you're tying this together. I told you I've seen this movie way too many times. <laughs> single handed. I could probably just single handedly reenact the entire film. That would be awesome. Right. I, I want this on tape, bro. Well, an- another thing they kind of really, like, skimmed over, I guess, they, they show it in the movie a lot, but I- if you don't think about it, there's no real, there's nothing past about the imagery. The, the Bat brands, um, that was a new thing. If you remember, yeah. Al- Alfred, in the very beginning of the movie, talks about how Superman's presence is making him do monstrous shit. And he, like, he throws, like, a newspaper clipping at him, and then at the end of the movie, he instead of branding Lex, he punches the wall. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, like... I, like I, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go. Well, I was thinking that was kind of like a, a power play for that whole power dynamic, because in, in mm-hmm. the whole BVS movie, he's, like, the perfect Randian hero, and I guess it only works because he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, I never thought I'd see a day where Batman would brand people knowing they're probably going to die in prison. And that was a little jarring for me. But then over the, over time, and going back and analyzing this movie and figuring out, yeah, he's probably gone kind of insane. It, it started to oh. sink in. Although, like, objectively, the idea of the Bat brand is kind of fun. It is fun. I, I like, just, I like... wanted it's like a wax seal. <laughs> They probably make that. They make a battering. They probably make that somewhere. I have a battering somewhere. What, what what kind is it? Oh, it's the one from uh, Arkham City. It's got the little blue light up thingy. <laughs> um. See now, I want that now. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. So like, so now we've established that Bruce is kind of insane. Uh, let's go talk about someone who else is freaking insane, um, Lois Lane, uh, going into this, uh, this, uh, fake African country for this interview, um, and finding a man known as Jimmy Olsen, but I will not give him the decency of being called Jimmy Olsen, because he's not Jimmy Olsen, and I will not say otherwise. Um, so, they, they, one thing that they do differently from, between Ultimate Edition and the first, like, in the, the theatrical cut is actually giving you the hands-on knowledge that he is Jimmy Olsen. But in the theatrical cut, he's just a guy with a camera who happens to be with Lois, and you kind of have to draw that conclusion. And I I drew that conclusion when I first saw this movie, and it it hit like a ton of bricks. Like, 
oh no. And they shot yeah. him, and I was like, bro, no, you can't do this to me. And then I go back and watch the ultimate cut after it came out the first time, and then they say it. And it cements in your head that this random African warlord just shot Jimmy Olsen, the guy who was like the POV character for a generation of children reading Superman comics as like the person who could be best friends with Superman was just shot in cold blood because he was a CIA agent for some reason. Like what? (laughs) I I don't understand the thought process. Well, I think it's for the very reasons that you just outlined. It was indicative, like, you know, like you just said, Jimmy was the focal point because he was created for the radio shows as a stand-in for the listener and then for the reader. And then this, that, and the other thing, Jimmy has always essentially been the audience. And I think it was stripping that comfort away from us in the beginning of the film. Because, you know, yes, we're familiar with Man of Steel, but this kind of reinforces that point of this is not something we have seen before. The movie is meant narratively, if you will, to make us uncomfortable, like this, that, and the other thing. I mean, okay, yeah, fair. It does kind of cement it over the top because we've already seen Clark kill a man by just snapping his neck in the first one, which I've had my my arguments about and I've kind of just gotten over it at this point. But, like, now you're just going to shoot Jimmy Olsen in the freaking head? I was like... I mean, it is Jimmy Olsen. Do we really care that much? I mean, like, to an extent, I do. do. From, from like, a history standpoint, I do. Like, like archiving the idea of how like what he means to people. I, I think, like, for, for me, I had already kind of seen Jimmy Olsen die by watching Smallville because, like... Iceman as Jimmy Olsen is still freaking hilarious, but um, and then seeing him die by the hands of a better-looking Doomsday on television is also even more funny. <laughs> but like, it just it's it that that jarring effect kind of screws with you a little bit. Like, did did you feel that way? Mary, who me or Travis? I was on Mary. Oh, it was definitely shocking. I'll, I'll admit. But I I think it was kind of meant to make the viewer uncomfortable. Okay. Travis, what what are your thoughts? Um, honestly, I thought I I viewed it as a a weird, uh, how I say, disconnect from any golden age relevance. It's kind of, it was symbolic of that to me. Because it was always, yeah. like, Jimmy Olsen, here you go. He's got his take on it, and it kind of makes sense because you're a person like Jimmy. No, he's, he's the CIA. You're the CIA, and you're both dead now. <laughs> That's kind of how the movie starts. All right. And then, like, immediately after this, you see Clark swoop in, blow up the freaking um, like missile and the drone, and slam into the thing. And Lois is just like... I'm gonna go ahead and put my hands down now because he's got this. And just like just Clark just runs this dude over like a freight train, and that dude's probably dead. Like it's over. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is far from the worst situation we've seen Lois put herself in. Like that's very. I can you you could take a stack of Superman books, throw them into the air, and pick one up off the floor, and I bet you ten bucks Lois is in some kind of. has put herself in some kind of dangerous situation for a story. Probably. I, like... So... I think, like, 
Though, I remember people joking before that, like, Superman just taking dude out, kind of like some of the idea that, like, yeah, Superman kills people now. Like, who cares? <laughs> Which, that's still kind of jacked up, like, in my opinion. Like, verse, like, he seems to only do it when the, the, the lives matter. It's not like he's just mercilessly killing people like we see in the Nightmare later. It, like, it's actually him trying to do what he thinks is best. Well, I mean, we also have no confirmation that these characters are dead, and I think that's a big point of contention, is that if we don't, if it's not referenced, and if we don't see it happen on screen, then it didn't happen. And that, you know, that's really kind of with any media you consume, is that it, we don't know if he's dead or not and it's kind of and i think this is where the movie kind of starts to run into its first few problems is that you have moments like this that are left unaddressed that people draw their own conclusions from yeah. and just kind of uh, just you know because somebody's going to listen to this episode and come yelling at me in the twitter dms uh, I'm just trying to look at this from like a literary perspective, kind of analyzing it as you would a book. Please don't come yell at me. Yeah, let's not do that, please. Like, we 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 chose to do this divisive thing as a way of like discussion, not like to have angry mobs. So like, let's not have angry mobs, please. Um. So we um. I do th- think the like the, the like uh, one question that's always bugged me about this movie like happens in this scene, which is the idea that. KG Beast slash the Russian because we 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 know from behind the scenes things that he is KG Beast, which is hilarious. Um, I mean, they they just can't call him that. It's a yeah. wee bit out of date. A um, little bit. <laughs> and just a weaky bit. Nah, he he shot he shot Dick Grayson. He's still KG Beast. I'm talking <laughs> about the KG. I'm talking about the KGB <laughs> part. That you right. <laughs> uh, my name's not Rick. Anyway, um, <laughs> like, 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 like the whole like thing where the KGB and like Luther's men like orchestrate the idea that Superman burned those those people. Like, like, how does Luther have this much insight ahead of the curve? Like, a, how does he know Lois is there? B, how does he know that he can set up this entire orchestrated plan? Like. That entire thing had me like, um, huh? Like, because there was even the part where KGB is like, um, he he's on his way. We we know he's coming. Like, how do you know this information? Like, and I think, I think that's where the movie running runs into its second problem is that it mashes up narratives from the Silver Age, and the reasoning for any Superman book in the Silver Age is because Lex. Like, that, that's the whole point, is because Lex. And yeah. it works for a comic book in the 70s. It doesn't work for a modern film. And I can see what Snyder was trying to do, but it just, it tripped and it fell on his face. And it just dipped. Oh. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, like, like I said, you know, you have all these little dangling points of, okay, how did Luther know any of this was going to happen? And if you translate the scene to a comic book, the rationale would literally just be because he's Lex Luthor. But that doesn't work for a movie. That's right, yeah. I, I, like, now, granted, what actually happens, like, next, we'll, we'll, like, we'll jump to this because we're actually talking about Lex now, and we'll come back to the whole bathtub thing in a minute. 
but like Lex's portrayal in this movie, there's the possibility that he can know all this information, but the way they do him in this movie doesn't fully convey that he has all the cards, and yet somehow he has all these cards. And he keeps grabbing information from off camera, and it leads people to be like, how do you have all of this? How do you have all of this information? So, like, there's, like, that whole thing there. I don't know how, how what you think of, like, Lex, as it were, in that situation. Travis, what do you think? About Lex in this yeah. movie? Or in what, like Lex what, what, and like him having all this information or in him knowing that Lois is going to be there or just Lex's portrayal because we're going to go to that part next. I liked Eisenberg, Alexander Luther, personally. Thank you. I do too, honestly. Like, I don't know. Like, it was the perfect way to do it. Yeah, and I liked the whole, you know... Hey Lex, he goes, no, 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 that's my father. He was the Lex before the core. Like there was a whole thing with that, and then the they they allowed him to be as eccentric as possible because Alexander doesn't get really much shine other than being as diabolical as his dad. Yeah, but what I what I what I think I really liked is he knew everything because he was pulling all the strings. He was literally the puppet master. I mean, for me, when it comes to him, Grant, like, everyone kept saying, like, oh, but Eisenberg sucks, yada, yada. I'm like, no, this is literally what Lex Luthor should be from a modern setting. Like, yes, it's kind of, like, ironic you got the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg in a movie to basically be the modern Mark Zuckerberg version of Lex. But at, at, at the same time, Eisenberg really sells it. Like, he makes it as insane as it needs to be. Granted, the whole, like, peach tea thing was a little much. But, like... As a whole, this idea for Lex is almost as good as um, Rosenbaum's like modern industrialist t- kind of Tony Stark version of him in Smallville, where it's like now we've evolved into this new generation of like like eccentric person that, that is trying to kill the god. Like it was very interesting. I, I think it gets a lot of hate for no reason. People don't like to think Silicon Valley hipsters to be threatening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think part of what I liked is that there is an element of the irreverency of Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. Because if you go back and watch Superman the movie, he's kind of all over the place. And I think that there's an element of that that Eisenberg brought to his version of Lex. Yeah? I haven't seen that Hack- one in so long. I, I, I do remember what you're saying. Like, it's like, wasn't Hackman not even that big on even reading the originals? He was like, I want to make Lex as crazy as I want him to be until he needs to be bald. Yeah. I mean, because, well, um, Reeve wasn't even the draw for the film. It was Brando and Hackman. Like, they were the ones that had top billing. Shit, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Because Chris Reeve was a nobody. And, I mean, you have Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman in your movie. You're going to promote the heck out of those two. Um, uh, Reeve actually had third billing. Good. Wow, I learned something new today. (laughs) (laughs) Today in comic book history. See, that's why we need to have that as a thing on the website. Like, that would be amazing. (laughs) We have the ultimate historian on, on hand for everything, and I love it. Um, that's why, like, this entire team has been so good this year. So, now that, now that I've done, like, like had my, my, my heartfelt moment. Um, so, we go from Lex trying to 
gain access to not only the kryptonite that has been discovered offshore, which is like I I can't remember if not if the um the offshore kryptonite scene was added in for the ultimate edition or not because I it, wait no it was not it was already there from the original theatrical cut if I recall yes oh lordy I don't remember I believe it was. And and then the whole thing with the African lady at the Senate was added in for more context to give her a ba- a bigger arc, which her arc was yeah. kind of stupid, but whatever. Whatever. Um, and you like you like and Lex ha- like goes from not only getting access to this rock, getting access to Zod's spaceship, and starts and begins the, his process of trying to figure out basically how to kill Superman. It was it, w- it was kind of insane. And it just, just, while I like the idea of him having all these cards already on the table, it's kind of insane to think that he's already kind of won the whole gambit before the movie's even taken off. Uh I don't know, like, Travis, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, Man, I don't know, because you kind of hit the nail right on the head right there. I think the only issue in his plan was he didn't, he he didn't expect the whole reason we all showed up to watch the movie is because Batman and Superman aren't going to kill each other. They're not. <laughs> yeah. That's just, it doesn't matter if it was the Martha motif that everyone was so mad about or whatever reason, there was no reason that those two were actually going to end each other's lives in this movie. So I, I feel like, I feel like Eisenberg's, Lex Luthor kind of got Doctor Doomed in this scenario. Ooh, ooh, ooh! Speak on. Cause, well, because you know Doctor Doom prepares for every outcome, but still is always losing. Doesn't make sense. And in my opinion, it kind of didn't make sense for Jesse to lose in this scenario either. Because the moment people teamed up and left the scene where he was watching them fight, you'd figure he'd have them kill Clark's mom and just move on and be done. So I think that's like a, a one maybe plot point that kind of was a little wrong for me, but I'm willing to trade that off for the amazing epic Batman fight scene that I got after. So okay. I'm torn. I've been bought. <laughs> You've been bought. Okay. So we go from there into Bruce beginning his journey of trying to steal the kryptonite away from Lex. Because, in reality, there's no dirty bomb trying to blow up the city. He's lying to Alfred. And that first scene we see Batman in, like, the apartment building or or wherever that's supposed to be. And we, like, the cops are sneaking in. Which, I love how in the Ultimate Edition they sneak in the idea that there's some extra, like, cyborg um, reference in the whole Gotham University stuff. And, like, the, the cops are watching the football game. I thought that was kind of clever. And they go on with that, and there's the the human trafficking going on, which kind of was a little triggering for some people, which, understandably so. And, like, the girls are, like, so afraid. They're like, no, we're not opening this cage, bro. Something's going on upstairs. And then you go up there, freaking, the the police officers try shooting Batman with a shotgun. I was like, whoa, that's a little much. But like, how, like, isn't Batman been on the scene for like 20 years? Why are you trying to light this boy up? Well, I mean, if Batman went crazy and started killing people, I would probably be equally as pan-shittingly terrified. Yeah. yeah. 
I saw a Titan but, season one finale. But uh, I can I can make I this can make stupid meta right now. Do it. Do it. Is it perhaps a commentary on the negligent negligent training of police officers to shoot first and ask questions later? Ooh, ooh, that's kind of a tough call because that's completely one hundred thousand percent Bruce's ideology. He just doesn't shoot to kill. That's the only difference. Damn, this just got real deep. I love it. Oh shit. Oh. I need like. See, this is the part where we need, like, a dramatic, you know, uh, 70s soap opera thing to play in the end. You know, those little riffs. There you go. Don't play yeah, need... Show needs a soundboard. This is I, know, I, I might work on that for when we come back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, so, like, that whole scene was, was insane. And that's where we see the, like, the first sign of the Bat brand. And they even go through all the effort of like explaining even more in depth in the Ultimate Edition that that sign literally means you're marked for death. So like to the point that KG Beast has someone in the prison shank the hell out of the human trafficking guy. I was like, bro, that's savage. Like, dude just rolls up, has someone hand him the shank. Throws him against the wall and just goes. Chah, 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 chah. I was like, bro, that that's that's a lot. That is a lot to put in this movie. Just as extra footage. <laughs> like you could have just been like, yeah, that that means you're a judge, jury, executioner. You're gone. Nah, we gonna have this man maliciously shanked in the prison yard. <laughs> yeah. Whoo. I mean, like that just that took me back. But then, like Bruce being this like hardened. So in depth, like like in his head, crazy to the point that he's going to go to whatever lengths it means to be to kill Superman. Even going as far to lie to Alfred about a dirty bomb kind of seemed a little like outlandish. But then, then again, we've already talked about Bruce's psyche being so fractured. And then, like, and I still question Affleck being like there as Batman because it was very obvious he wasn't in for the long haul. Like even they announced he was going to direct and be in his own Batman movie. I was like, that's not gonna go. But all right, uh-huh. like that was already questionable. Granted, his performance is still is still pretty dope. I I, I like that they didn't just go. I'm not wearing hockey pads and like. Force the, the the throat cancer voice on him like they did with, with that with uh, Christian Bale. They like did the whole oh it was so bad, and like they actually put the whole like voice modulator like I, like because they're so worried about in in a modern setting or in like a, a real world setting people knowing that like Bruce's voice is Batman's voice like uh-huh. oh that frustrates my soul. But I mean I I think. In the day of modern social media, like, somebody, and even in the comic book universe, it would not be difficult to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Like, who the hell could afford all of this? There's, like, yeah, there's a lot of rich people in Gotham, but, you know, only, like, how many of them are, like, you know, six foot four and, you know, ripped to hell? Yeah. But but I do think that um adding the voice modulator was one of the better elements that the film added in. It's not who I am that defines me. But what what I do 
I'm like, oh, I hate that fucking voice. Oh, oh. I don't know why people like Christian Bale as Batman. But... Because he was in a really, 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 really good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, direct, the direction doesn't, doesn't excuse the stupidity of Christian Bale as Batman. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, different. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, okay, well, so obviously we'll have to come back to the Dark Knight trilogy, and and I can I can have my five hour rant of why Bane was horrible. What what that that might be uh the ne- ne- next ne- next winter, but, <laughs> but but moving forward with this entire thing, we have then Bruce going to every length to even go into like the the, 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 the the underground fight scene to get a hold of KGB. I don't even know what they call this dude in the movie. I'm calling him KGB because I found it out a while back. I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm calling you KGB. They here. called him the Russian. The Russian. Okay. Uh, eh. KGB 6-5. Um, and like Bruce does that whole thing like, ooh, a, a model taught me uh, Russian, so I know this one line and we can be friends. But then dude's just like, nah, peace out. But thankfully, Bruce copied his phone just in time. <laughs> um, but like uh, that whole scene definitely drew back to the idea of what Pattinson and Reeves are talking about for the for the new like Batman movie that's coming up. The idea of there being real detective work in a Batman movie, which that is something would be that's nice. Is, yeah, because right. we haven't had that in so long. The idea that it could happen, and even that a small little bit with Affleck was actually really refreshing. Hell, what happens at the Lex Luthor party scene, like a few scenes later, shows even even more the idea that um, Bruce can actually use his brain rather than just his fists and being the Bat God, as Mary has already talked about. We were so used to seeing Bat God beat everybody down and move on, but we haven't got to see Detective version of Batman other than the comics and I guess the Arkham games for a while. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Okay. Cool. Then we have we have from there, which is I I didn't put this in the notes. I feel like it does uh, bear mentioning. Um, Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White riding the hell out of Clark Kent is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. Like every time it comes up, it's like, like just give me a report about football, damn it! And it was like, no. Like it, it, tearing up the whole like draft of the paper. Well, he was like, hey, man, I went in your Dropbox, found this art, this template for the, for the sports article, and you didn't do nothing. <laughs> like, that entire like, spiel was just so satisfying. And this, like, hardened Perry White that's so frustrated by the modern age of social media that the idea of a newspaper doesn't mean anything is such a great angle for this version of him. And, like, the longest time I was so irritated by the idea of Perry White, of all people, being race changed. But then I finally just, like, saw Lawrence Fishburne do it enough times. I was like, he is perfect for this. Like, Morpheus coming in and giving Superman the business is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, like Mary, you are the diehard Superman fan among the three of us. Um, what, like, how, how did you feel about Morpheus? I mean, Perry White really has one character trait, and it's grumpy. <laughs> and, I mean, if Lawrence Fishburne's body of work proves anything, he could be, be grumpy. 
So you were satisfied I... with, with Grumpy? Oh, oh God, yes. I love the scene in uh, Man of Steel where Jenny's trapped under the building and Perry's like, look, if we're going to die, we're going to die here together. Like, <laughs> and here I thought Jenny was, that, that's another story for another Wait, day. Wait, what, you cut, you cut out there. Oh, the character of Jenny in Man of Steel, she's one of the reporters. Yeah. I thought she was going to be Jimmy Olsen. That's what I thought, too. Like, everyone thought that when Man of Steel came out, they just gender-bent Jimmy Olsen and was done with it. But then uh, BBS comes out like, no, this is Jimmy Olsen and we're going to shoot him in the freaking head. I was like, bro! It's not bad enough, like, like, or, like for the sake of some people, that you would gender-bend her and cause controversy. You flat-out shot the man in the head. Yeah. I, I, I will die on that hill. That, that was a bad move. <laughs> but anyway. Um... And then one one thing that obviously we haven't talked about yet is is Lois in this movie. I get we we've given her her own section in the notes, but I do want to pay, like pay like respect to the whole like her being fearful in the tub of what's going to occur with Clark. That was something that was pretty like real for her, which gives credence to the fact that in Mary's mind she is one of the best Lois Lanes. That and her investigative skills and her humanity in the role. Granted, I still love Erica Derns. That's just me. I, I'm already sharpening my shiv here. Like, I wish I could, buddy. Hey, hey. The, the, the day comes where I'm going I'm to let you borrow my Hulu and we have a dissection of Smallville will come. But, like... I have I'm, Hulu. I'm, oh, you have Hulu? Hey, see, now, now we need to have our Smallville. Uh, series. I need to rewatch Smallville now, damn it. Um, but no, like I, I give, I give, I give you. Cr- everyone needs to rewatch Smallville. It's amazing. Thank you, thank you. That was not in narration. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I, I give Amy Adams her respect. Like I will have, I will play devil's advocate for the neck beards in a little bit when we discuss her. So, like, Mary, you can sharpen your shift for metaphor- metaphorical neck beards later or hypothetical neck beards later. But, like, I do like what is shown here of her being actually fearful of what's going to happen. Obviously, they revealed themselves to one another off, off camera because they kind of hinted the idea at the end of the movie where, like, they shake hands, like, hey, we know each other, obviously. But, like, this kind of cements like, hey, they're in love. We 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 kind of just skipped all that bullshit like behind the scenes. Like, okay, that's fine. I'm not mad at that. And then she's I mean, so. We, oh, go ahead. We we really didn't need to waste screen time on. Oh my God, Clark and Lois know each other. Yeah. And then like we like they even gave us the little sexy scene in the bathtub, which was funny. But like, eh. um. So we move on, and like the whole idea of. Um, Lois's character arc of going through and trying to figure out what this bullet is will be discussed in her section. I just wanted to give uh, like credence to the idea that she is very well done here in these couple scenes where like she's like, "Hey Perry, I need to, I, I need to go here. I need to go to DC." And the Perry's like, "You're flying, Coach. Economy Plus, <laughs> Coach." <laughs> Which even shows the pettiness of Perry, where it's like, yeah, the newspaper's failing. We don't have a lot of money. Like, ride your ass and coach. <laughs> like, that was even, like, funny, that he's just trying to, like, pinch the dollar as much as possible because they're kind of getting screwed by, like, modern media. Anyway, we go from there into the, like, the party, where, like, we already talked about Bruce is already having his detective skills on. 
And Lex is just going crazy here, where he's just, like, giving this, like, speech. And he's trying to get this whole thing about Prometheus and the fire and I, how he thinks he's, he's Prometheus trying to be better for society and everything else and that whole thing. I was like, this is really weird. And it's, I, I don't know if, if, like, either of you were able to di- dissect that jargon because I kind of lost track when he started repeating himself. I think it was trying to outline to us the... Uh unchecked trauma that Lex has dealt with because Snyder seems perfectly content to point out all the shattered psyches. Oh yeah. Between Bruce, between The red capes are coming. That was a great metaphor. And like this whole back and forth that Lex has with the senator on multiple occasions, it's very weird. Like he's so dead set on like getting her to go with him on this whole plan and she's like Nah, fam. I'm gonna block that rock from you. <laughs> also, Elastigirl being the one to challenge Lex Luthor is still very, very jarring. I don't care what anyone says. Because, <laughs> like, Holly Hunter, I love you. But, like, it's very weird trying to see you fight against your own kind. Just saying. Alright. So, we, like, at the party, Bruce goes down, plus thing in. What we find out in the credits of the movie... Mercy Graves walks in and goes, hey, Mr. Rain, what you doing down here? Like, oh, I thought this was the bathroom. I had too many martinis. And they totally buy it, and it's hilarious. Which, maybe they didn't fully buy it, because apparently Lex knows who he is. Don't know if that was ever fully explained, but that's a thing. So, I, I, Mercy's just kind of like, yeah, get your ass up back up the stairs, Batman. Like, <laughs> And then he goes back down later, after it's all over. And D- D- uh, Diana has seemingly stole his device. Oh no! <laughs> and runs back upstairs, and we have the dick measuring contest. Mr. Wade, how do you feel about the Batman in your town? <laughs> um, this scene specifically, I like it, and like it even gives um homage, like create, like I don't know, create homage, whatever. It gives identifiability to the idea that some people have speculated that um jo- Jared Leto Joker what was once a robin which is hilarious and like they even like there's two different like occasions they do that reference of like maybe Jared Leto Joker is a robin and then they but they go back through this and then Lex is like hey I love bringing people together I know both of your names that was the first indicator to me even in the trailers like yeah you know who both of them are Thoughts on, on that whole interaction? Well, I mean, Lex Luthor has always wanted to kill Superman, but he has the flair for the dramatic. And that, you know, time and again in the comics has what's proven to be his downfall. So yeah. it would have been, he had the kryptonite at this time, it would have been super easy just to shank Clark at the party. Which would have been hilarious. It, it would have been hilarious if you just, like, stabbed Superman in the ass with, a, like, kryptonite shank. <laughs> but I think it's just the pageantry, because even Lex's speech is pageantry, because, you know, he starts to go off kilter during the speech, and this whole thing is just performance for him. And not only is it 
is, is he putting on the performance, but he's putting on the performance to instigate another performance for his own pleasure kind of a thing. And I think that's just kind of indicative of how fucked up Lex Luthor actually is. That, you know, it's kind of a, a cat and mouse thing. Like, he knows what his plan is. He knows his plan is going to work. And he's basically playing with his food before he eats it. Okay. See, like, and what, 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 kind of, what kind of bugs me, though, is the idea that Lex shouldn't even have a reason to kill Superman specifically other than, oh, he's fearful of what could be, like, become of him. Like, that's the only motivation Lex has to actually go after him so relentlessly. Like, he just shows up like, yeah, I'm gonna kill God. Like, I... Well, I mean, Lex's, Lex's whole motivation is that Clark is a superior being. And Lex believes he is the superior being. And he needs to he he needs to prove that you know Superman is not all powerful. Superman can be hurt. He can be killed. Lex is the superior intellect. It's it's classic narcissism. Yeah. All right. Travis, your thought. Mm, I uh I really liked that whole exchange that they had. Honestly. Um, with the whole <laughs> Gotham is tired of you know people dressed like clowns, that yeah. that made a lot of that made a lot of sense for me. Like, like the way Affleck embodies Bruce Wayne, like yeah, it's hard to explain. Like he he breathes this energy of like dirty, grimy, rich Gothamite. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, like it in that conversation, it he feels like yeah he's Bruce Wayne, but Bruce Wayne's from Gotham. And you don't fuck with people from Gotham. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, and I so, will say, the idea of Gotham being across the pond from Metropolis and Superman having nothing to do with that is still kind of funny to me. I enjoyed the whole uh, Gotham is New Jersey thing, because New Jersey is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Shade thrown at New Jersey. So savage. Uh, but I, I don't know, man. There was something about the whole... Because, like, I, I brought it up briefly earlier, like, the whole um, political implications between Superman and Batman. They kind of, like, brought that to a head in that conversation. With the whole, you know, you decide who gets saved and you don't really do anything. He doesn't do anything that's nice. Oh, well, this guy is actually killing people, but he does good things, you know? And it was this weird... Batman's got a everything must be solved now type of ideology, and then Superman's like, well, that's evil. <laughs> it's what it feels like. Does that make any sense? That makes perfect sense. No, it absolutely does. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's like they're... Superman forgets that he can analyze any situation in, the fraction of a, in a fraction of a second. It's kind of what that conversation feels like. And when he's faced with someone who reacts arguably as fast as him, but with less speedy perception, things are done sloppily in literally each other's eyes. They, they think they're both doing terrible jobs, which I thought was pretty funny, considering. <laughs> okay. So, now for the, the part where there'll be a little bit of divisiveness here. Diana. 
there are a lot of people within with, within the community of at large that say Diana is shoehorned into this movie. I disagree. I now, now with hindsight being 2020, the way she has done this movie, I would have tweaked it a bit. But at the end of the day, I think that her contribution to give sort of a cat and mouse game to Bruce and almost sidetrack him back to his humanity is kind of interesting. I, and then, of course, the inclusion of her in the final fight is phenomenal. So, thoughts on Diana being finally brought to the forefront of the, the, the cinematic universe that is DC Comics. I know, Mar- I know, I know what Mary's going to say. Travis, how about you go first before we let Mary let Travis, Travis, Travis should go first. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm just... <laughs> Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and start that there's I was excited, but there's no way that I was Mary excited. Because <laughs> honest to goodness, like okay, because my my mom I was I was raised by my mother, so I got to see the impact of what what Wonder Woman was for her. So when I saw this movie with her, the the childish excitement like igniting in the depths of her soul that I could see in her eyes was pretty wonderful for me. And then watching them, I. I don't know what else to call it, flash step, even though that's a bleach term, all the way across the screen and the, the high-speed combat and the, uh, everything about it was wonderful. I liked the, the spy banter that she had with Bruce before that. It was, it was pretty good. So when earlier, maybe if anyone says shoehorns, I'm going to gut you. I'm like, well, that knife's going to be dry. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to say that tonight. Probably not. Because it... It was it was a really I mean, good. If, it was really well done. If you value your safety, um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, hey, hey, like if Travis is is, is good, Mary cut loose. Okay, so where specifically do you want me to start? Because I'm gonna try and keep this as tight as possible. Let's just. I, I want your thoughts on Diana pre Turner, and also, um, I want your thoughts on the neckbeards being assholes. Well, the introduction of Diana, just kind of in in the scene itself, is that she is the unknown element. That you know, Lex knows exactly who she is. But he seems uninterested with her because he's got Superman and Batman staring each other down. And whereas he knows who Diana is, you know, on paper, he doesn't know who she is as a person because that information's got to be very hard to find. Other than the fact that, you know, she's seemingly this immortal Amazon who has tried very hard to stay out of the public eye for the past hundred years. Yeah. But that kind of makes her an unknown quantity. So, and I, I think that's kind of where the movie slips up a little bit, but I'm going to allow it. Because there's no way Lex wouldn't have accounted for this. But it gives me a badass Wonder Woman scene, so I'm going to let that one go. But I think, like, with what you said about Diana being the catalyst for the refounding of his humanity, as it were, I think it also kind of paints her as, you know, to put it bluntly, the adult in the room. 
that you know she is more or less the neutral party because and, and this is the way i interpreted the movie is that ideologically she's right like she's not because i'm gonna i'm jumping all over the place here but um if you just break down the the character archetypes in the film we see towards the very end that they fall in line behind her because you know when we go to the big trinity fight in the end she leads the charge she has the you know superman waits for her to launch the first attack so they're following her lead that you know Mm -hmm. she is sort of what they're paying attention to and you know as a wonder woman fan that kind of like yay And narratively, we know why is because, you know, she's the first hero, as it were. You know, she was the first one. She's been doing this the longest kind of a thing. Not only that, but she's the unknown. Like, both of them are like, is she with you? I thought she was with you, which is one of my favorite lines of the whole fucking movie. Like, like, they don't know anything about her, but but she's like, hey, I'll stand by you. So it's like, they got to know what to do in this kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Hell, they don't even know each other. Because they just got done fighting. Mm-hmm. And she's all like, God damn, I gotta fix this shit again. <laughs> it is kind of like, because I love the scene where she's on the plane. And she's like, God damn it. And then she's leaving the flight attendant's like, Miss Prince, Miss Prince. And she's like, go fuck yourself. I gotta deal with this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I just... And don't get me... Oh, God. Don't get me wrong, I'm always down for some, like, you know, wonder bat sexy intrigue kind of a thing. <laughs> okay, so what are your thoughts on her being shoehorned, as, as, as they say? I mean, can I be blunt? Do it! It's the finale! I mean, these guys can go fuck themselves, like... Oh. Not like they don't already. Well, yeah, of course, you know. Oh my god. Their hand is their very best friend. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it's like, if the Trinity wasn't such, like, a massive stalwart of the DC universe, like, somebody's gotta be the adult in the room. It's like that scene from uh, the Trinity book in Rebirth where she just has both of them hoisted on her shoulders. Like, that, that is just Diana as a character. Yeah. Right, we should probably stop before, because I'm I am treading dangerously close to tangent. Okay. Well, well then from there, um, I have just, I have I have just um, executively decided that this is going to be a two parter, and we will we will promote it as such. So that way, next week you can get our final thoughts on it. But before we go, we will talk about one more section, which is going to be the nightmare, aka Mad Max, part five. So. Bruce is asleep after all the night's events, and he opens a door into Omega Symbol on the ground. Rebellion everywhere. And he's like, I'm gonna find the tool to to get rid of Superman. Case opens, (laughs) and it's a light. And and, and dude's even like, I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't want to do this. And then the stormtroopers show up and they like they shoot everybody. And then Batman even shoots some people, which was kind of not okay. But alright. And, and and like like everything unfolds. 
and they take him into the thing, into, into the into the little jail area, hanging from the ceiling. And Superman flies down, and they have that really weird sort of godlike scene, almost like a Red Sun comic book, where like they're bowing to him as he walks in. He just straight lasers everybody else but Bruce in the room to death, and then just takes off the the mask like. You killed Lois. I'm going to kill you. And it's like, mm, this is some scary stuff, bro. I mean, it was a nod to Injustice. It definitely was. Oh, huge. But and, see, something... Oh, God. Something that I want to know is that um, it's never necessarily been confirmed, but, you know, when the parademons first start coming down and doing parademon shit, there's the blonde woman with the mask over her face that's fighting with him to the point where she lands on the ground, throws her arm up, and he grabs and starts dragging her. Who is that? That's what I want. That's the great mystery of BBS for me is who is that? It's, it's spoiler. <laughs> I, I, I wish, but no. Um, <laughs> honestly, if if you want my thought process, knowing how much of a um, Frank Miller whore Zack Snyder is when it comes to this movie, it wouldn't pass me if it was Dinah because of All-Star Batman and Robin. But mm-hmm. that, that's just me. Because a lot of the theories I heard was that it was Dinah, it was Carrie Kelly, it was uh, Barbara Gordon, because, you know, there was the whole Jenna Malone's gonna be Barbara Gordon thing. There was that, and then there was the one MTV Movie Awards where they flat out, like, announced, because it was right after Hunger Games that came out, and then she comes on stage, like, they say, what's her face from Hunger Games, and Robin in Batman v Superman. I was like, wait, hold up. What just and happened? She was Jeanette Clyburn. <laughs> yes. Like, that blew me away. Now, granted, she, like, after seeing her in Sucker Punch and in Hunger Games, she would have been a pretty good choice for either Barbara or for Carrie Kelly. Oh, I yeah. stick oh. by that. So, meh. Now, this is, no, 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 there's the whole Parademons thing. Like, I don't know if this was, like, mother box energy or dark side influencing batman's dreams or whatever or he just flat out saw the future but normal nightmares don't usually involve you seeing stuff that you don't even know exists yet you know what i mean like the omega symbol on the ground parademons being a thing because if, if it would have just been like a wasteland and the stormtroopers would have been there and the superman thing happened that makes sense those things logically make sense given the information that bruce knows but like the parademons and everything else i'm like i don't fully know how bruce has this information to me his nightmare kind of felt like because yeah they, they, it was a huge nod to injustice and of course there's the omega symbol which he knows nothing about but i think a, another large part of it was they they needed to make use of the of his psychosis to show like he's he's kind of a psycho boomer <laughs> for for lack of better terminology because <laughs> think about it with like the only way that he could think that you know superman's going to be this all-powerful god being is if he thinks that somehow eventually people are going to start signing their right their rights away to a weird authoritarian that clark would never be outside of injustice which is something that only bruce can really imagine in his mind honestly okay 
I mean, yeah. Yeah. Though, what would like if we found out that if it was sort of like Tony Stark's whole thing in Age of Ultron, where like something else had forced him to have that premonition, would have been kind of cool. But we don't even get that. It's just, oh, he has this crazy ass nightmare. And then, and then the Flash thing, which we'll get to in a second. I, I, it still kind of irks me that, that all this is kind of thrown at his head like that. Well, here's the I think here's the big literary question is, does his, you know, pardon the pun here, but does Bruce's batshit crazy mental state, does that make him an unreliable narrator? Yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So it like, even throws the entire like scenario out the window for that. So then we get like I, part of me hopes this was time travel because like like cause some people have theorized the Flash thing is a dream. I don't think it is. I think it actually was full of time travel because you have Ezra Miller running through time. He's like Bruce, you were right about him. Lois is the key. I'm like, bro, what is this? And like, they hadn't made Ezra shave his face or anything yet, and it just looks weird. And like, he has the whole opening the face, like flash armor that's even we like even crazier than what ended up being in Justice League. And he's like, am I too soon? It was, it was like, oh, that I love that scene, but hated it all at the same time. It was a cool nod for the Flash, but as far as shoehorns are concerned, I think that's where it went. Because I don't think that part was necessary at all. Yeah. Especially when later in the film when we have Diana uncovering the uh, the different files. We see him at the convenience store. Like I feel like yeah. two Flash scenes were unnecessary. And it's like, a lot of people like want to say Diana was too warm, but no, like, the entire film is like, it's trying to be a sequel to Man of Steel. It's trying to set up stuff for Justice League and other spinoff movies. It's trying to tell a story of Batman versus Superman. Like, it's trying to also include Wonder Woman because they want to have the Trinity scene be a part of the movie and be integral to the movie. It's trying to, like, like it basically introduce Batman to the entire universe because of it being not Bale Batman. Like, it's doing so much in one movie and it, 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 it kind of crumbles under its own weight trying to do it all. It got too big for its britches. Yep. Oh, yeah. And in, in, the, in, the, in the fire, we lost meaning, but we earned really epic cinematography moments that you didn't care about. See, yeah. I think that's the big tragedy of the film, is that the cinematography gets lost. Yep. So fucking cool. Yes, it was. Um, last thing before before we close out this first part is the do you bleed? So you will. <laughs> yes, that is wonderful. It it is. But before that, we had the whole thing where Bruce literally guns down people and blows people up with the Batmobile, trying to chase down the Kryptonite. Which nobody can tell so me. Much. All these people die. No one can, like it's not even like Arkham Knight where like he electrocutes them and something makes them not get killed by the Batmobile and it drives through it like a building. It, it's no, these people die. Like 
Oh, like, yeah. the, he the drags some people. Say, oh, he's dreaming of himself pushing over his line of no guns. No, he flat out kills these people. Yeah. I also love just how many boats he feels the need to destroy in that one scene. Yes. Like, Batman hates boats for some reason. Hashtag Batman hates boats. <laughs> Travis, for you being such a diehard Batman fan, how did that scene make you feel? Okay. Uh, it was a real, real confusing emotion because I was extremely happy that I got to see all of this epic Batman action on screen, but I was super mad because he was blatantly murdering everyone. No holds bar, dragging cars across random stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was okay, it was entertaining, don't get me wrong, but as a Batman fan, I kind of. I, I was kind of broke inside, but after I've, mm. I've watched it a few times, I was I, I figured out that it was Bruce. Bruce was just in a bad place for the whole movie, and they did a very bad job at explaining that the events of Man of Steel had pushed, like, they, they said it blatantly that the events of Man of Steel had pushed Bruce over the edge, but they would never said how far. Mm. They kind of just... Hey, there's this newspaper clipping of all the the bat branding, but they they really made it look like it was a normal thing that he was always doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the way they I when I was watching it today, it I could make a case for it was being presented in a manner that Bruce had just started doing this and Alfred was getting tired of him being so brutal because of these Kryptonians. So I don't know, I'm I'm mixed on it because Batman doesn't kill that indiscriminately. Uh -huh. ever so but it was also a very very amazing action scene and Affleck's fight scenes were wonderfully choreographed so it's a real bittersweet poop sandwich that I'm definitely going to take a bite of and eat <laughs> just it, it, it's just golden age Batman <laughs> right uh -huh. <laughs> it just, it just slaps some purple gloves on him I mean golden age Batman killed everybody <laughs> Really right, with them. the weird ears, he just punches people through a guardrail. That's a vat of acid. That's what criminals deserve. Yeah. Grapple guns yeah. away. Like there was that time he shot a vampire. Like no, he straight up shot a vampire. Like no hesitation. <laughs> like no hesitation. Shot a vampire. Oh my god. I lost the golden name. Okay, so we are going to go ahead and wrap up this episode here. We will be back next week for part two. We're going to wrap up our finale for you folks. Now, we will be back January 9th for... I'm on the wrong fucking calendar. We will be back for you, good folks, January 6th, where we will be back with all of our good stuff. But we will be back next week for our winter finale part two. So get ready for that, because this movie is so insane, it deserves two parts. Justice League almost got two. But you know what? We didn't get that. And that's why I released the Snyder Cut as a thing. And yeah. All right. <laughs> I lo I'm laughing at my own jokes. I feel bad now. Um, okay. 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 So, so, Mary, what is your closing statement for the, uh, for the part one of the winter finale of Panel to Panel? Uh, Wonder Woman is not shoehorned in, you bastards. <laughs> All right. Travis, what is your closing statement for the winter finale of Panel to Panel part one? All right, it's going to be a really edgy take, but Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller is the worst Flash. Like, the worst Flash. Damn! That was so like, field. <laughs> <laughs> My guy, where did that come from?
I just can't stand him. He's <laughs> just so bad. Are 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 you are are, are you a freaking um like a, a, a Grant Gustin stan? Uh, okay, I like Flash the show. Don't get me wrong, but even the Flash show with all of its quips, stupidity, and wholesomeness is closer to actual Barry Allen than Ezra Miller was. I mean, I still say that like somebody could like go back in and audio edit every mention of Barry Allen in Justice League and just rewrite Wally West on a note card and like it would fix every problem and he could just be Justice League Unlimited Wally. But that's just See, me. I mean, even then I don't think he's that funny. So it's just like uh, he's just I don't know, dude. He reminds me of like Corky Romano in a flash suit. <laughs> You'll never be able to unsee that. <laughs> I think I will. I think I'll, I'll, I'll be. I'll be alright. Because <laughs> I, I just like he just comes off like someone really wanted to cash in on Grant Gustin being Barry when they could have easily just made him Wally. Like that's literally what that is to me. They couldn't just stick to their guns and leave him as Wally. But anyway, that, that that's an argument for different for a different show. Um. So we, uh, my closing statement for, for this is. Um, Aquaman is the best uh, DC movie except for Wonder Woman because Mary will kill me. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, don't forget, folks, you can catch this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, all those great things, except for SoundCloud. We don't support SoundCloud. You can uh, check, uh, follow us on Twitter at PTP underscore podcast. You can follow the website on Commerce Ground on Twitter, Instagram at on Commerce Ground, and check out the website uh, every day of every weekday for new previews solicitations, reviews, and more uh, at oncomicsground.com. Just put some hyphens between those words for me. All right, we will catch you folks next time right here at Panel 2 Panel. Peace out.